We're actually going to be in um, Acts chapters 22 through 26 for two weeks. And it's going to be kind of a, a two-part reflection on what these sections have to say about sharing uh, the gospel, sharing our hope of, with, in Christ with others, commonly known as evangelism. Um, so that's uh, what the next two weeks will look like. But we won't actually be reading the narrative straight through. So I want to encourage you over these next several weeks to, to take the time to do that and, and so that you have a better grasp of, of, uh, of the narrative uh, that we're going to be looking at. Evangelism is what we'll be talking about. Um, it's kind of a loaded word, a word that has some baggage. Uh, but nonetheless, the idea... And this is the idea is what I really want to hone on. The idea of sharing our hope in Jesus Christ with others so that they might know the Lord. That idea is a fundamental in our faith. It's, it's fundamental to being a believer. Believers who have hope in Jesus share the hope of Jesus they have with others. In, in various levels and degree, various degrees of calling, but it happens. It's It's fundamental. Give you a sense of fundamentals. Uh, appreciate it. I gained a new appreciation this year. Um, I have never coached uh, any of the sports of my kids, namely because they play baseball and I don't. So I'm I'm the dad in the stands with the moms, is what I am. I will occasionally keep a scorebook, but I don't even know what to say to them. You know, so I'll. Do the thing, do the thing, don't do the thing. Or then I'll be, I'll finally like build up the courage to say run, and they'll see the third base coach go, don't run. And it just there's this constant feedback that I have no business being anywhere near a baseball field. I can't throw the ball. Looks like I'm shot putting. So even if I were to say, hey, you want to go have a throw, son? I would teach him the wrong thing. Um, so I haven't coached until this year. Uh, somehow the boys got into lacrosse, and that is my sport. <laughs> so we took them to Dick's. The kingdom is yours. I was so hypocritical. I used to bust on those dads. So we uh, now, so then next thing you know, I'm helping out coaching in their middle school sport, and it's about fundamentals, especially at, when kids are new to a sport, and kids are usually being introduced to lacrosse in middle school. It's about fundamentals. The kids, they want to talk about all this cool stuff that they saw on ESPN. They have names for stuff. I mean, I played. I played the game. I don't even know these names. They got names for everything. Oh, you're going Canadian style. Oh, you're flipping it up or whatever. And then they talk about, oh, what kind of stick do you have? And I bought the $35 stick at Toys R Us. That's what I'm playing with. But they got all the netting and the meshing and all of these things that used to matter to me. They no longer matter to me. Really, all that matters in lacrosse, here's the fundamentals. You ready? Pick up the ball. Throw the ball. Catch the ball. That's it. Pick it up. Throw it, catch it, you switch hands. Occasionally that's advanced. That's it. They don't, they don't have time. You drill that. You could drill that the entire season. What are we going to do today, coach? We're going to pick up the ball. We're going to throw the ball. You're going to drop it, so then you get to pick it up until you don't drop it. Pick it up, throw it, catch it. You could do that. You could do that drill for two hours a day, 
All of middle school. You don't need to talk a play. They want to talk, well, are we going to run Carolina? Are we going to, we don't need to talk plays. There will not be a play. Because the play requires that you can throw the ball, catch the ball. And we'll, that'll never happen. Unless we drill. So it's fundamental. Fundamental is when everything else that you want to do, everything else that you want to realize, the great vision, the romantic vision of what we want to be in our mind, we see that. The fundamental is the coarse stones on the bottom of that image. And sharing our hope in Jesus Christ with people who don't know him is fundamental. And it's one of the fundamentals of the, of the church that probably is not the strongest fundamental in this church. I'm not saying it about a person. I'm saying about us. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's this season of me saying that. We're, we're not that good, I don't think, of sharing our faith. We could be better. Let me just say it that way. We could be better at that. Of, of the, we, have, we have other fundamentals pretty well in hand. This one, I think we need to, we just need to do more drills. And so when the word of God kind of brings it in front and puts it there, man, what a great opportunity to exhort ourselves, to allow the word to exhort us about the truth of this because we could do better. So these next two uh, weeks, uh, we'll be talking about evangelism. Uh, Heart of Evangelism. It's going to be, I hope, a very practical uh, sermon. So if you take notes, you can write one, two, and three on your note card today. Uh, and next week, we'll finish up with four, five, and six, or however many. But we, it's, we're going to work, and it's very practical, I hope. But it is not, and I want to be very emphatic about this, it's not methodology. I'm not going to talk today about how to do evangelism. I don't really know how to do evangelism. That's less important to me, how to do it. My heart is, how do we become people who desire to do evangelism? That's what needs to happen, is the Lord needs to work on us to change us to see things as they really are, and then to respond to them in the right heart. And when we do that, evangelism will work itself out. So this sermon is focused more on becoming the kind of Christian who desires to share the gospel. And then I believe if we're that kind of person, it will happen. But because of that, each time we're going to look at three ideas today. After each one, we're going to stop and we're going to pray because I don't want you to think it's something you need to do. I want us to realize it's something we need to become. So Lord, change us is, uh, is what our prayer will be. Okay, in Acts, we can begin to direct our attention there. In Acts 22 through 26, Paul is, it's a two-year, a little bit over two-year imprisonment of Paul in Palestine between Jerusalem and Caesarea. Six times, Paul is mentioned in the scriptures as, as having a chance to speak, having some kind of audience. Um, but only three of those six times does he actually seize the opportunity to try to advance the gospel for people. The other three times, he doesn't. And I, I want to say that right up front because I don't want to cast an, um, 
when we talk about evangelism, I don't want to, you to feel like I'm bullying you into thinking you always, always should be sharing the gospel with everyone all the time. You know, 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. It doesn't say preach the word all the time in every season all the time. It says be ready, to be constantly ready to do what might be appropriate. And that's what you see here is Paul has many opportunities, but in the opportunities given, sometimes he's not preaching. Sometimes he's being extremely careful with the words that come out of his mouth because the people that he's trying to share, they want, they want him dead. So it would be like pearls to swine. It would be like him fashioning his own noose. And he's, he's, he's cautious and wise and careful and crafty about the times when he should be sharing the gospel and times when it's just best to be quiet and to say what needs to be said uh, to stay alive. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that sharing the gospel is, is not an all-the-time every way, every sort of thing, sort of idea. We should always be a witness to the Lord in our manner of speech and life. But to seize a moment and say, we're going to make this conversation about Jesus takes discernment. Now, one of the reasons I'm saying that is because as we go through uh, this message, there may be things that you'll fact check against your own life. So I'll say something and you'll say, well, would that work with Fred? No, it wouldn't work with Fred. And you'll be like, well, it doesn't work. Ah, I'm not saying it's not a methodology. I'm not saying this is the truth that you have to go do. I'm saying this is a, this is a truth about who we ought to be. And then we use discernment and how we do it. So I want to affirm from the very beginning that this is not something, evangelism is not a constant, never-ending practice of the believer it can at times be a very careful and delicate thing. Now, that being said, we are a pretty quiet folk, right? I mean, I think our proclivity is to say, oh, yeah, we're, we're being careful and discerning. I'll get my game on. Don't worry about it. I'm being discerning. I really want to be discerning. I want to be Use a lot of sense, you know, about when we're going to do this. Don't do it right now. Let's get a few more pieces in order. I mean, there's, there's a way that you could use how be so sensitive to how you share the gospel that it would never make sense to share the gospel. Well, I mean, we need to know that about us. That's probably true about many of us here. And, you know, the truth is, is the longer you're quiet about the gospel in a familiar crowd, the more complicated it gets to begin to talk about it when you're finally like, Ugh. Because if you really had this pearl of great price that was so awesome and so life-changing, why did you wait six years to tell them? You know, I feel that I was regular once, too. I was one of you before I got all preachy. And that's how I remember feeling that way. Like, well, unfortunately, the military moved us enough. You could mess up with one crowd and go try again. <laughs> but some of you are stuck in the same cubicle. You're six years in and you haven't made one peep about the fact you even go to church on Sunday. You've been so sensitive. So we should be sensitive, but let's not latch onto that because that's probably what we're prone to do already. Okay. Let's look at 
uh, Acts 22. Speaking of sensitive, watch what, watch what Paul does. Paul was just, he was in the temple, minding in his own business. Some people who didn't like him saw him, said, hey, that guy. And they raised these accusations that weren't true about him, whipped up a mob. The mob got angry. They started beating on Paul. They started trying to stone Paul and kill Paul. The, the Roman soldiers, whose job it is to keep the peace, they could care less about religion. They look in, they see the mob. They rescue Paul out, ironically. They're the source of his salvation. They rescue him out, simply just trying to squelch the, the, the riots. And they're pulling Paul away. They're extricating him from the mob. And the mob's, give us back, Paul. And they're pulling him away. And as they're about to get into the barracks, Paul says to the tribune, hey, can I talk to these guys before we go? Just went, this is just a misunderstanding. And I, surprisingly, the tribune says, okay. So I'm just saying, from an issue of being sensitive, <laughs> Paul chooses this moment as a time to say, this is a great moment for the gospel or to share about Jesus. And, and, and here's what he shares. I, I wanna, our first idea is right here in the first three verses of 22. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as well as, as of you are this day, as all of you are this day. The first thing I want you to see here is that Paul is careful to speak the language of the people he's addressing. You see when he speaks Hebrew, or the Hebrew language, it's probably Aramaic, so the tongue of the Hebrews is what it's really saying. When he does that, they hush up. Maybe he's one of us. And then he goes on to say for three verses, I am one of you. I'm a Jew, he says. Not only am I a Jew, he puts out his pedigree. I'm a Jew with a finer pedigree than anybody else here. I'm a Jew among Jews. That's what all that translates to. Is for them to hear, he's saying, listen to me. And he's speaking in their language. And he's establishing his commonality and connection to them. That's the first thing he does right out of the gate. And if we have a heart to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people, we will likewise seek to speak their language, speak in a way that they can hear. It evokes listening. Sometimes that means learning a new language, but typically it doesn't. Really, it means you recognizing that you speak a language, you speak a unique dialect to a unique tribe every single day. You are, you, God has made you uniquely suited to speak a word in a community that other people are not well suited for. We speak, you know, many, many languages that you don't even realize it. We have so many different dialects and languages that we can speak any, any day. In this room, there is such a wide variety of languages, right? Women have a language. Men have a language. There's occupational languages. There's banker language and doctor language and nurse language and teacher language and lawyer language and engineer language and cubicle language. And 
There's even preachy language. When we get together, we, we talk a different way. There's that kind of language. There's adolescent language and youth language. There's, there is woman, young woman language and old man language. There's working man language and white-collar language. There's two-job language and one-job language. There's I stay at home with my children language. There's I don't like playgroup language. There's all sorts of languages, and you know them. In fact, you, I want you to embrace this. You may be the single best cultural expert of the very group of people God has called you to. There may be not be another person on the earth who speaks their language like you do. On the face of the earth, you may be the person who speaks that language just right, who knows them, knows their culture, knows knows how to get into a conversation, how to get out of a conversation, how to navigate the conversation, all of that. And if you had, if we had, if we had a heart that desired to share the hope of Jesus Christ that we have with others, we would make, we would laboriously be careful about the language, making sure that we want to be heard by them. We did an alpha several years back. It was an intentional evangelistic effort of this church, and uh, it, it, was, it was a great year, and I learned so much that year. And uh, there was this one night that I was put at the table with the teenagers, teenage girls to be specific. <clears throat> I don't speak that language. Just letting you know now, I don't speak that language. And so we're sitting at this table, and we're supposed to talk about the Lord. That's the purpose of Alpha. And I'm trying to, like, you know, so... You know, Sally, how's school going? And I never actually saw Sally's eyes because even if the phone is under the table, they still look down so they can see it. And I mean, she was like breaking a code out of Fort Knox down there. Just And there was another girl over there. I mean, they were just doing this thing. And, and what did it happen? It fired me up. How rude. So, like, this linguistic barrier just blew up in my face. So I'm over there getting ticked off. He's rude. You know, I'm starting to sound old. Like, <laughs> kids these days, sort of in my spirit. And, and they're, they're, I don't, they could be sharing the gospel with someone. It didn't matter to me. So I do the unspeakable. I say, okay, how about we do this? How about we all take our phones and put them on the table? I don't speak their language. It, at that, from that point on, it didn't matter if I was Jesus Christ himself. I had nothing important to say to them. You know, so two things. Maybe I'm not called to them, but the Lord would still say, if you loved them like I love them, oh, you'd have done it differently. You certainly wouldn't have worried about how you feel. If we long to share the hope we have, we will learn the language. Let's pray. Lord, make us linguists, holy linguists. Uh, give us uh, the right tongue and the right sense of the tribal customs that you've placed us in or that you've called us to. Lord, and we confess to you that um, we may not be conscious like that. We may not be conscious that you're calling us to be uh, your great communicator. So, Lord, give us a, 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 just a mindfulness that right now, 
we have a special language of the faith for some people. And make us willing to use it, Lord. Change our hearts there. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at the second issue. I'm going to read his, his testimony, and then we'll, uh, we'll follow up. I'll pick up in the fourth verse. So he establishes the fact that he's a Jew, and then he says, I persecuted this way to the death. The way is the Christian movement. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to bear, hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of, your, of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now this is Paul's testimony. That's what you would call this. It's a testimony. Did you hear the gospel there? No. There's no gospel's not here. It may, it's, it may be traveling deep underneath, but it's not sitting at the surface. It was Paul's testimony. Paul's saying, this is what happened to me. And that's what a testimony is. A testimony is not the gospel. A testimony is your personal apologetic for the power of God. A testimony is saying, this is who I was, this is who I am, and God did it. A testimony hinges around change. Change. Life change. This is who I was. 
God changed me, and this is who I'm becoming. If we have a heart, if we have a heart to share the love of Jesus Christ with others, we will gain a language of God's change in our life to share with them. Your testimony is an accreditation of the power of God. And people listen. People listen. We do this sort of thing all the time in a non, I don't want to say non-religious, non-Christian sort of way. We do the who I was, who I am, I did it pattern. All the time. I'm sitting in a coffee shop working on my Apple laptop. It's not all that uncommon that someone will come by and say, what do you think about Apple? Right? So then I tell them who I was before Apple, <laughs> who I am with Apple, and I did it. So all before, when I was in the age of the black box, I was always hitting control at the lead, and viruses, and battery life of three minutes, you know, all this stuff. Everything looked like an Excel spreadsheet. It was disgusting. Couldn't find a picture. Couldn't hear a song. You know, doing that whole thing. And then I said, but then I saw the light. I even used Pauline language. Then I saw the light because I'm an Apple evangelist. I saw the light and I purchased this and my life has been good ever since. I've never had a this or that or this or that. Right? It's who I was, who I am, I did it. If you, if you drop a few pounds, you start working out, and someone says, you know, whoa, Tommy, you been on a diet? You dropping a few LBs over there? You know, the first thing you'll do is act falsely modest, like, ah, oh, no. You think so? No, no. And then, but you really, you really want to tell them, well, yeah, pretty much I've been doing the fruit smoothies. You got to do these fruit smoothies. You know, hitting the gym, hitting the hack pretty hard. You, you, you drop your voice low, hitting the hack pretty hard, you know. Pushing it up, P90, I'm doing P91, actually. You start, you do your whole thing, you, but who I was, who I am, and I did it. We're good at that, okay? We're good at that, and it has power. The guy who walks away feels like sluggish and fat. Like, oh, he's looking good. I, and it convicts you, like, I need to buy an apple, and I need to join the gym. It works, You are, your life is an accreditation to the things that change you. Who I was, who I am now, he's doing it. That's what a testimony is. That is what allows you to share the gospel. Now, sometimes you may say, well, I've been a Christian so long, like, I can't even hardly remember my story well, for one, by the way, Paul, this happened 20-some years ago. So Paul's been a Christian for a while. But two, it doesn't have to be your conversion story. Isn't God always changing us? The gospel that saves, the God that saves is the God who sanctifies. He's worked as much, if not more, in my life, the deeper I go, than he did the day I met him. So I don't have to remember the inception, the moment, uh, the beginning of it all. It's happening now. And I want to encourage you there. Stop and think of the many ways that God is. It doesn't have to be profoundly like colorful like this. Are you more patient? Are you more forgiving? Did you weather the death of a loved one in a beautiful way? Have you endured unseeming hardship and yet have not lost 
a joy. People will notice that. I, I'm just calling you. I'm, I'm encouraging you to say, to find change. Now, you may, there may be a situation, and I'll encourage you after this, but there may be a situation where you think, ah, there's no change. And, and I do say, there is the option, there is the possibility that this morning I'm calling out the fact that you are not a believer and you're living in a delusion. I want to leave ourselves open to that, that if, if all that's ever been for you is religious and you really go, actually, this is a good day for you because you see a truth in front of you. And I would say this is a time to begin to approach the Lord and say, Lord, I've never really let you in, and I am in need of great change. But oftentimes, especially the longer in the faith, you, uh, we lose a, a sense of the grandeur of subtlety. You know, sometimes the changes at the end, you know, 80% of the work is in the last 20% of a project. There's so much grandeur in the subtle changes in your life that I want to call you to. There's occasions in Hokesson where the winds back off in Hokesson and you smell the mushroom farms. You smell them where you're not supposed to smell them. So you walk out, oh, man. I want that, that needs to happen in our own Christian life sometimes, that the winds of our past need to come back on us so we smell who we used to be. Ah, I am not that anymore, and he's doing it. And that's a story. People want hope. People want love. People want meaning. We have that in our story if he's done it. Let's pray. Lord, 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 make us people who testify to the change that you alone have done in us. Make us give great testimony, not false testimony, not overly grandiose testimony, Lord, just actual, factual telling of what you're doing in us, Lord. And Lord, we invite your spirit to begin to show and expose in our lives the ways you've been working and, and, and working on us and in us. Because we know that you have called us to people. We know that you want us to speak their language and to speak it with your hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one more. One more, and we'll begin. Two verses at the end of 22. Verses 21 and 22. So the Lord says to Paul, well, Paul tells, let me say it this way, Paul tells the Jews who were getting ready to wring his neck, he, this is how he ends his story. Verse 21, And when he said to me, and he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now listen to this verse. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. In other words, kill him. Now, did he really need to say the G word? Let's be honest with ourselves. Is it in the gospel? That's a different G word. Gentile. Did he have to say Gentile? Do we, you and I, is this a big deal? Couldn't he have said Jesus was alive, was crucified, was resurrected? I mean, Peter at Pentecost gave, gave the, the entire gospel and never used the G word. Why did he have to go and say it? He knows they're sensitive about it. I mean, of all the things to say, they were listening to him. They were 
attentive. And he had to go and say Gentile. When we think of being careful and discerning and using great sensitivity with the gospel, sometimes we make that synonymous with we bring, as we're trying to bring the hope of Jesus to somebody, we tiptoe around the place they need it most. Because the moment we say it there, <laughs> we're done. So we want, we want someone to have eternal life, but we, we, I don't know if we're worried about God's reputation or we want to make him look good or we, we worried about our reputation. That's a deeper question. But we oftentimes misfit the gospel, bring it to a place in someone else's life where he's got no problem accepting it because it's not pushing on anything. It's also not offering any real life. We're, in other words, we're throwing the, the, the life, the, what do you call the round thing? Life vest? Yeah, we'll call it life vest. It's not round. We're throwing it over the wrong side of the boat. Here's a person drowning, and where they're drowning is where Paul goes. You know, the Gentiles are the problem for these people. That's why they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the gospel because the gospel should just be for them. That's the problem here. Why is Paul going to go through all of this work? Our thinking, our natural sensitivity is if you've gone through all this work, don't blow it. And he's thinking, I've gone through all this work, now I need to make them face it. God rescues us by coming to our place of greatest need, which is our place of greatest darkness and our place of greatest hardness and our place of greatest frustration and the place that we bristle and the place we often do not want to hear. That is where Jesus rescues us. The gospel is where, that's where the gospel does its great work. But sometimes we just want it to be good news all the time. Well, watch it, he'll do it again. I'm running out of time. So quick with me to 24. Okay, I'll give you a tiny bit of, of, of background here. He's now in Caesarea. He's under the custody of the governor, the Roman governor, whose name is Felix. Felix is a hard man from history. What we know from Felix is he, he had a brutal, fairly brutal um, put down of a riot, for which he loses his job, by the way. So in chapter 25, he will no longer be Felix. He'll be Festus. He's fired. He's brought home. Roman history says he was almost put to death by Caesar, except that his older brother interceded for him on his behalf. He's a tough guy, okay, who is married to a woman named Drusilla, who is a bombshell. That's what the histories say. It's different in the Latin. But she's a total looker. She is a total looker is what it says. She was beautiful, and she was married to another man. And you know what Felix did? He hired a Cypriot magician to woo her from him to become his third wife. So minus the Cypriot magician, which I haven't seen many of those around, that's pretty much the East Coast. Okay? This, we know this. We know this power. We know power, beauty, the infectious nature of it. Okay, this is our kind of people. Okay? This is who Paul is speaking to. For some reason, he gets a chance to speak to them privately. I'm going to pick up in verse 23 of chapter 24. This is Felix 
Felix, for some bizarre reason, gives a little bit of special favor to Paul. So he says, then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending his need, to his needs. Now listen to what happens, 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about the faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. What did he talk about? <laughs> righteousness? Self-control in the coming judgment. I'm sure Felix was thrilled about that. I mean, here is someone who is soaking the world in. Power, sex, money, everything the world has to offer. And when he introduces himself to Paul, who is his prisoner, Paul whittles the gospel down and throws it right at the problem. Righteousness, you're not. Self-control, you don't have it. And judgment is coming. I want to ask you, I don't, look, it takes great discernment to know when to do that. I mean, whoo, that's awesome. Uh, And it turns out Felix keeps coming back for two years. Sometimes people desperately want to hear what they don't want to hear. What they want to hear is virtuous truth from somebody who's placing themselves in threat to say it. What agenda could Paul have by offending the governor? I'm just saying, the world may not be thirsty to hear a message of God has a wonderful plan for your life. And you have a a Jesus-shaped hole in your heart. That may be effective sometimes, But God wants us to bring the aid to the sickness. And that takes courage, and that takes wisdom, and that takes sensitivity, which means there's no methodology about this. It's who we have to become in the Lord to do this well and right. Let's pray, Lord. Give us eyes to lovingly see where people are hurting. Where they have a hard heart, Lord, because it's there that you look for repentance. This is how you are, Christ, in your ministry. You said to Nicodemus, be born again. You said to the rich young ruler, get rid of all your wealth. You said to the person who was slow to follow, you better follow me quickly, Lord. You always seemed to reach right to where people wanted to pause. Father, we need wisdom in the spirit. We can't, we, we can't with confidence take, take this out like a cookie cutter practice. We need wisdom in the spirit to know when we do that, especially, Lord, I pray, the moment it gets into the home, Lord, we need so much help. Lord, if it's not us who are supposed to speak in the confines of our walls, we pray in the name of Jesus, you would raise up someone who speaks the language of our loved ones. Speaks their language knows their customs, has a story of your change in their life, and who will reach in and bring the rescue to where there's the peril. Lord, make us those people and bring us those people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.